Hi, this is Alina and Megan, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers, personal trainers, and nutrition coaches who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas. And we want to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Today on Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, we welcome Dr. Jason St. Clair. Jason is the owner of Rise Physical Therapy in Charleston, South Carolina. He is board certified OCS, which stands for Orthopedic Clinical Specialist, and a fellow in the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. In addition to practicing as a full-time clinician, he also serves as an adjunct instructor for the Medical University of South Carolina's Doctor of Physical Therapy program. Jason's mission is to bridge the gap between rehab and performance. He believes our job as rehab professionals should be to get patients out of the medical system as quickly and safely as possible. We know you're really going to enjoy this episode as we absolutely love chatting with Jason during this podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Jason St. Clair. Welcome, Jason. We're so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you guys for bringing me on. So can you, first off, we know you through Katie, but can you give us your background? And you're a physical therapist and you're located in South Carolina. So I just want to hear a little more about what you do and your background. Sure. Yes, I'm a physical therapist currently practicing in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm originally from Missouri. That's where I did my undergraduate work. I studied nutrition and exercise science. And then I moved to California. I was going, I intended to go to PT school at USC Pasadena. So I moved out there for a couple of years. Well, ended up being about a year and a half and was personal training at a kind of upscale training place in Silicon Valley. And that's where I met my wife now, Katie. Um, She was one of my peer interviews and we ended up just kind of geography wise. She had done an internship in Charleston. So I randomly applied to physical therapy school here. I was accepted and we moved across the coast. So PT school graduated in 2010. And I've been in a variety of settings since then. And about three years ago, I decided to specialize. So I specialized, um, I sat for an orthopedic specialist exam. And then after that, went into a fellowship for manual physical therapy through Mercer University out of Atlanta. And now I, again, work in Charleston. I do a little bit of what I would call personal training and then some one-on-one physical therapy with a cash-based practice. Wow. That's a lot of school. A mouthful. With a personal training background, what is your like approach with your patients, especially being in like a cash-based versus an insurance-based model? I would say most of the people that I continue on with personal training. Well, first off, I kind of have a special interest uh, working with endurance athletes and they are just kind of prone to some of those overused type of injuries. And so a lot of them end up being people who have not really done strength training with a coach or they've done strength training with the coach, but just need a little bit of what I would call kind of rehabby stuff within the session, whether that be manual therapy or whatever. And so I just see them like usually once a week, no more. Um, and then but I, you know, I just call it personal training because I have them consistently on my schedule. Whereas the physical therapy clients, I'm genuinely trying to get them 
off of my schedule. Like I'm trying to get them out of what I call healthcare as quickly as possible, move them on to, to more fitness. I don't want anybody feeling sick or injured any longer than, than they absolutely have to, because that ultimately leads to, to a whole nother host of problems. I'd say that that's a big difference between being a personal trainer and a physical therapist. Not that I want people to stay injured. That's definitely not, but it's just, they tend to, I think, stay in my schedule. Whereas with a physical therapist, they definitely are leaving your schedule and you're getting them better. You're getting them back. So that's still cool though, that you're able to still work long-term with some people just because your background, you said you were a personal trainer too. So I'm sure that being able to integrate the two personal training and physical therapy has really brought you to like be more advanced as a physical therapist. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you're integrating? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of my passion. When I was personal training, seeing somebody once or twice a week, it's nice because there's a little bit of room for what I view in my mind as air as far as like just training dosage, if they're hurting, they can, you know, they're coming back in two days, they can tell you. But so, and, and you develop, you have a ton of time to develop a relationship and trust, which at the end of the day is what I believe matters most with getting anybody to any goal is that time relationship and trust. So doing that, I learned a ton. And then for some reason, when I got to PT school, I thought everything was different now because I'm within this medical model of, you know, the person goes to the doctor, they find out something's wrong, and then they're going to come see me and I'm going to somehow help fix it. That's all you think you're going to do is fix, fix, fix. And so as time goes on, you start to realize, well, really what most people need, especially if they're coming in with pain syndrome, is kind of learning the basics, a graded exposure type of program to build them a little bit of capacity, resiliency, and trust in their body to do whatever it is that may be. It could be gardening, could be CrossFit, could be marathons, triathlons, but they just need to have faith that their body, just like if you cut your skin, is going to heal if you have an injury and that you're going to be able to build up um, the capacity and whatever that sensitive area might be to do whatever task it is that they want to do. And generally that's, if you take, if you use the basic strength and conditioning principles, generally that's an achievable goal. So So more of a full body capacity approach versus like a joint by joint approach. Absolutely. Yes. And so that brings us into kind of what we were talking about a little bit before the recording, but when there are so many restraints put on therapists or any healthcare provider, but the number one constraint I find is time. So it's really difficult to, if somebody comes in with shoulder pain, it's difficult not to hone in on that shoulder in PT school. You learn, you know, look a joint above and a joint below. And now like 10 years ago, they came out with interregional dependence. So essentially the, the hip, something in the hip could affect something in the shoulder, which we all know to be true, but it's just not how um, a lot of practitioners um, look at the body. And we're so focused on that source of symptom Usually when someone comes in shoulder pain, we're trying to figure out what it is in that shoulder that could be causing the pain experience. And so then we address it and then we, we move on. We don't look at a lot of things. We don't look at what aggravating activity. So we usually ask, you know, what bothers your shoulder? When does it hurt? Person could say reaching overhead and that, and we just leave it at that. We don't say, well, reaching overhead while I 
am lifting a two pound something off of the shelf. Like we don't dive in. And I think the biggest constraint on that is time. So yes, holistic as far as the whole body matters. Yes. That's super interesting. I think with the insurance-based model, it might really just stop you from diving in. But now that you were saying you're cash-based, you're able to dive in more. And I know even just for myself, when I take a history on somebody, I feel like I get more just from the history. I can get so much out of a history than, I mean, you get a lot, of course, from the movement test, but you can, you do get a lot from a history. So it's just interesting what you're saying about being able to dive deep into just really assessing the person in front of you and how, yeah, if there's some shoulder pain, you're going to look maybe also at the rib cage. And at the yeah, well, yeah, if you I mean, just if, get them to function better in general, it's going to wind up making everything better anyway. Like the further away the problem, the actual real problem is, the worse something distal is going to be, in my opinion. Right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. To Alina's point, if all we are trying to figure out is what is wrong with that person's chief complaint, like whatever it is they're coming in for, then usually they will tell you in their history what it is. It's yeah. not that difficult to tease that part out. Now trying to figure out the why and how are we going to make a meaningful change, then that your objective tests start to have more meaning. But if we're just simply trying to figure out what's wrong, then yeah, their, their subjective exam usually will tell you pretty clearly. So you work pretty much hand in hand right now with Katie, who's your wife. Katie, yes. Singer. you guys share the same last name, but she's a personal trainer and I've seen even just in her posts and your posts too on Instagram where she maybe was struggling with something and then you talked about the different things that you did to help her feel better. And I found those posts so valuable because first of all, as a clinician yourself, when you're struggling with your own pain, sometimes you need somebody else to evaluate you and actually get to the root of it. And then also you guys share patients together, clients And I think it's very interesting to have somebody that you work so closely with, with clients sharing, you know, where she's training them and then you're treating them. And I just want to know a little bit about how you both do that so well and how you make that work. Sure. Well, I'll start by saying those are my favorite referrals. (laughs) And in short, that is because I know what Katie values. I know what she is trying to accomplish with anybody that she sees. Therefore, I kind of know what they have been told, what they have tried, and that helps tremendously. It's super difficult to get referrals from people who might have a big difference in what in values and what they might be doing or saying to the person. Um, and I enjoy those too because that takes a whole nother level of communication to try to, to try to build trust and not say that what that provider said was wrong because it wasn't usually, it's just different and buying trust. So it's usually those patients that I get from Katie are, once again, I know what they've done. I know what she's trying to achieve. And usually it's pretty easy for me to, to come in and, and do my little piece of the puzzle and, and get them back to where they need to be, which is fitness. Not just Katie, my favorite, favorite referrals are people who are working with a trainer or are, you know, a trainer themselves. And they know so much about the body and what they've done. And usually it's not me educating them on anything, anything. It's just maybe bringing a little bit of emphasis on something they, for whatever reason, weren't considering at that time. And I do the same. So when I send somebody to them, I realize that this is, if I'm sending it to a strength conditioning coach or trainer, you know, 
once they're out of there, out of kind of the rehabby stuff, that's not my wheelhouse anymore. And so I want to pass them off to people who are going to take them where they need to be, which in my opinion is out of the medical system and onto to fitness, health, and enjoying life. I have a question about that. The line between the rehabby, I'm using air quotes, stuff yes. and the strength and conditioning stuff. Because to me, and this is like a rhetorical question because I know both you guys are the same. To me, they're the same mm-hmm. or they should be the same. Like, or they should be kind of integrated together. But really, I mean, you can make any strength training movement into a rehab exercise. And honestly, you'll probably get more bang for your buck. But to you, what does that mean? Just like the person's out of pain or? It means to me shifting the emphasis from from a pain-related issue onto more of a a fitness-related issue. So if somebody's having a little niggle, and it goes away, then that's one thing. Now, if they've had that niggle now for three weeks and it's, become, it's starting to become a problem, they're changing movement patterns and they can't seem to get past it, then I'm going to start breaking things down, like taking off layers of, of big compound lifts, whatever that may be, and trying to dive into to smaller and smaller things until I can figure out what we need to change. And that's why I try to, I do delineate partly because I mean, I'm always wearing my physical therapy hat. I'm always wearing my, my training hat. But I think sometimes if it was on a gradient, sometimes I'm being a little bit more where I'm kind of reeling people in and it's not performance related. It's more kind of that, that health end of things. And mm-hmm. then, but I'm quickly trying to, to make them realize that they're robust, they're resilient, and they're going to go right back into to fitness. Does that answer that question? Totally. But I totally agree that they are the same 100%. It's just kind of, of where I intervene with them at any given point. It's like a continuum almost like there's a continuous line and you have your rehab stuff here and your training stuff here and they kind of, you can go back and forth. But I think what also what I got from what you were saying was it's also goal dependent. Yes. What's that person's goal. And you know what else I noticed about what you said that I found really interesting right at the end of that was just, that you're trying to get them out faster and you're really focusing on changing their mindset of what pain is. So that's just very interesting. And I know pain science is a big thing right now and you've talked about it. And um, so how do you go about changing somebody's mindset about pain? Well, that is a bit of a loaded, a loaded question, but um, pain science. So when I did go through, it's called, it was a manual therapy fellowship. So that was the umbrella. But the biggest thing that was instilled in me was number one, a lot of pain science as far as how the neuroscience of pain and how it works, which is fascinating. And now that we have functional MRIs and all of this technology that are available, we are learning more and more and more about how it works, but it doesn't really change. Like I'm always pain sciencing people and I'm air quoting too meaning that I'm trying to not have their system sensitive. We are trying to reduce sensitivity, wherever that may be, if somebody has pain, in order to allow them to go back to performance. So back to the previous question, even in my rehab, I am programming, Megan, I'm staring at you as I talk, but I, it, it's, still progr- <laughs> it's, it's still programming. So, But if somebody is on a 12-week progressive performance-based program, for whatever that may be, and now all of a sudden they, they have an injury, whatever it is, acute low back pain, you know, strain something, then that programming needs to change. 
And so if they see me for rehabbing them, I'm kind of looking at that. And I'm also thinking of programming as it relates to dose intensity from whatever exercises I may specifically prescribe to them, whether it be motor control, whatever, like I have doses that I'm going to prescribe to them specifically for those activities. Got it. But once again, trying to get them back to that same goal that they were working on uh, prior to the little injury. Yeah. So as a PT with your PT hat versus your trainer hat, you do obviously more manual work. Can you talk about, I know that there's some, like, I personally think that there's a ton of value in like proper manual work in conjunction with exercise, but I was curious, just like from your perspective, what you think, I mean, obviously there's like scars and things like that, but just like general soft tissue adhesions or kind of immobility of soft tissue and where that comes from, like what can cause that? I think the answer is we don't know. So one of my mentors is Joe Donnelly, who wrote the Trigger Point book that was originally done by Travell and Simmons. But if you look at the Trigger Point literature, which if you're doing, if you're talking soft tissue and you have, you know, you rub on a place and you feel kind of a tight band underneath there and that reproduces the, the person's pain, that's kind of what we would call a, a trigger point. And we don't really know what causes those. We all have them. Some of them are latent, meaning that you don't even know they're there. Like if you get a massage and you have a knot, and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was there. And then some of them are actually the person's source of symptoms. But what we do know are those areas, like the actinomyosin filaments aren't uh, what we think. They're not sliding the way they should. And so that area becomes a little bit ischemic and you get these inflammatory markers in there. So a technique I might use is dry needling. And you go in and you, you needle that specific area. And then there's an immediate change in some of those inflammatory markers. And we don't know what causes it. And we also don't know that needling at this point or any other soft tissue work, what it specifically does to reduce that thing. But what we do know is that we're trying to reduce sensitivity, sensitivity in that area. Yeah. So we don't know for a lot of these things, which is why I don't think they should be emphasized so much. I don't think that if I'm rubbing on a tissue, you know, that I'm breaking up scar tissue, if I'm on a foam roller, I'm breaking up scar tissue. But if I can do that technique and that person can then go on to perform something that like progressive overload or that graded exposure type stuff we talked about. Mm -hmm. Well, then I think that's a win. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, from a, like a blood flow standpoint, I could see total value in it because you're not going to heal and you're not going to function properly if you don't get blood flow there. Right. And with blood flow comes, I mean, if you don't have blood flow there, I would imagine your nervous system, like neurons would be affected, like other things like that. Things just can't move yeah. and properly function. Yeah. I mean, maybe we, the truth is we, we don't know. In my opinion, I think, you know, the number one driver of most conditions is the brain. I think the brain always gets a say in the, in the central nervous system, the spinal cord. I think all those things are powerful. We give a lot of credit to, you know, joints and muscles, fascia, um, but all of those things are, you know, controlled by the, the nervous system. And, and people know that it's just, it just makes it really complicated to, to think about how are you going to change it if you're always thinking about the brain and how it is interacting. Like it's a lot more easy to think about joint mechanics and, you know, position from, from biomechanics standpoint, as far as motor control. Yeah. But as yeah. far as the manual therapy in general, I view it as, you know, something that I'm trying to not use. 
And whenever I do use it, I'm trying to be super, super specific. So just like you would do an accessory exercise, like that's how specific I'm trying to be with my manual therapy to get a rather quick change that is usually very meaningful for the person in front of me. And then we can go on and do something that they didn't think they could do prior or that I- Can you give an example? Yeah, so if somebody has, you know, neck pain and they're having trouble turning their head to the right and we cannot, you know, I've tried a few different exercises, maybe a couple breathing strategies and they're still having pain, I'm going that way, then maybe I choose to do a cervical manipulation. Um, Once I do the cervical manipulation, I know that that's going to get me a quick uh, increase in range of motion. And so then after I get that quick um, increase in range of motion, then I might go back to the uh, respiratory drill, whatever it was that I was doing, and have that be their homework and quickly, you know, then I start my education as as far as, okay, this got bought us a movement. It's probably not going to last, you know, longer than about an hour. You know, you probably will feel good for a couple of days, but it's what we do after this is going to make it stick and, and move on to the, you know, to the actual exercise. I think it's really interesting what you just said about how you don't do manual therapy until it's kind of like a last resort, because a lot of physical therapists, they rely on manual therapy, but you're so advanced and so experienced and you've taken a lot of courses and have furthered your education. And I know the way you treat your patients is different in regards to how normal or whatever insurance-based, more normal physical therapy is. So what I mean by normal is when you get, just somebody has a leg injury and they go to PT, they get a prescription, they usually go to insurance-based PT. So I know that you treat patients a little differently. And I think that it's just, I find it amazing that you're waiting until like a last resort to do that manual therapy instead of jumping the gun and doing it at first and that you're using I know you utilize it with the breath so maybe talk a little bit if you have like a case or something that could kind sure. of thing so that we could kind of see how you treat versus like an insurance base and maybe we can even talk about sure. that how it would be treated in insurance versus how you treat could be yeah cool. I think before I go too far off that I think it's important to note that I used to want to be a manual therapist. Like that's kind of what I wanted the identity to be. It does. It's really difficult to be good at. It's always been something that I struggled with. And after PT school, you know, I still wasn't super skilled. No one is. No one really is a skilled manual therapist after school. It just takes so much. It's like learning a new sport almost, you know? Because no matter where you're trying to manipulate and target your forces, it it just takes a lot of coordination. So I'll start with there. And I wasn't always, didn't always have this attitude. I often would see somebody come in and I kind of knew, okay, well, I'm going to do this soft tissue technique or, or this joint mobilization because it works. And it wasn't until probably a couple of years ago where I really started challenging myself, you know, what is the the least amount I can do with this patient and have them come back the fewest amount of times. And it's interesting if you do that, you know, for six months, you realize that you can get a lot of people out of the system really quickly, but it's not necessarily a great business model, especially if you're in the insurance world where you're paid, you know, not very much per visit and 
you know, the more visits you have on your schedule, the higher the volume you, you can treat. And I'm not blaming them because, it, you know, they're dealt with what the contracts they sign with insurance companies and, and the patients also, you know, what the patient may not have the money to pay differently, or they may not see the value in paying differently. So I'm just simply saying that, that part of it, I think, is at this current time what it is. And until we bring awareness to that problem and find some different strategies, which I think we're moving that way with a lot of out-of-network practices and cash-based practices, I don't think there'll be a significant change. So with that said, my goal typically is to see them as fewest amount of visits as possible. So if they come in with, once again, neck pain, then you know I'll go through my examination, I'll see what's going on, and then I've have my values, what I find valuable as far as interventions and listen to their concerns and then get on the same page. And from day one, I'm, I'm already setting up a plan so that we kind of know where we're both moving, get on the same page. I want their goals to be my goals and vice versa. 100%. I can say as someone who works, I'm not a physical therapist, obviously, but as someone who works in an insurance-based model, they really are like trapped. Like it's like, you get a patient and you look at what their insurance allows. Okay. Say they're given 12 visits or say it's like a patient that gets six visits and then you have to like reauthorize. And then your paperwork and your documentation is based on just like showing that you're doing, obviously showing what you're doing, but not necessarily like showing how quickly you get them better. I mean, you do have like Oswestries and like outcomes and things like that, but you're really just saying like, okay, we've gotten them a little bit better. So give us more visits. It's not like, hey, look, we got them really, like, you're not rewarded for getting them better faster. And obviously, in insurance models, you're working with a lot of, like, post-operative patients. Right. Um, which, obviously, they're going to take a lot longer to get better because you're starting from a really, really dysfunctional position. But I just, I mean, I've, I've realized that for a long time. But even just, just listening to you talk just now, it's so, it's so weird. Like, if it's someone that's coming in for, like, a chronic injury that is not surgical or anything like that, it's... I don't know. It's just, it's that's, interesting. Where I, that's where I truly hope that things will begin to change. So I have somebody who I work with, a wonderful triathlete, and I see her whenever, you know, little things come up when they creep up, but I don't accept her insurance. So uh, she had a, an accident of maybe a year or so ago where she fell off a bike and you know, fractured her wrist. And she reached out to me and I said, I don't think coming to see me makes sense. She was reaching out to see if I knew anyone. And so I, of course, sent her to somebody who would be able to see her for that whole healing time. I mean, that is a perfect example of when her insurance could be and should be used. She had an accident. She didn't know she was going to have that accident. And she really needed 30 minutes twice a week or whatever it was of, of somebody laying eyes on her, making sure that she got past that uh, surgical incident. And once it was done, then I said, you know, let's meet up one time and kind of see where, how the whole body's working as a whole. You know, how does the spine moving out? How's the ribcage moving out? Just from her, you know, being immobilized and going through that process. But I don't think that she would belong in that environment. I think there's an environment for people who don't really need what I consider high skilled care. And there are people who, who really need problem solving, a lot of clinical reasoning and true specialization. It's almost like this should be a different, completely different model. I mean, they are obviously, but like people should be f directed more towards one or the other. Whereas I feel like a lot of patients have no idea that cash, 
cash PT exists or that, or that PT exists really. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah. And, and or what it is. That's, that's so true. Right. It's easy to talk about examples of, of people who you see on a regular basis, but it is different when you start talking about society as a whole and what, you know, how much people actually move and who are these people going into physical therapy clinics and, and so yeah. forth because it's very, very different. And another thing is like, you have a spectrum too. There's the people that go to PT and they're like, oh, stupid PT exercises. Like those are so lame. Like, let me go lift some real weights. And then there's the people that are like, oh my God, I'm going to PT. They're going to torture me again. Like all yeah. this exercise. I'm like, especially in certain circumstances where it's like, really not a whole lot is going on here, but right. it's just, yes. it really, it's like a, an aware, the, I think the biggest thing that needs to change is awareness, like a societal awareness of like what people really need. Like you don't need opioids. You mm -hmm. don't necessarily need surgery. Most of the time you don't, especially if you get spinal surgery and you don't have PT, that is what pisses me off more than almost anything else. Like, yeah. hello, you needed surgery because you moved poorly. Right. And now you got surgery and you're going to continue to move poorly. Now you just have rods in your back. Like, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You no, know, I mean, you're, <laughs> you bring up a lot of, of great points and people are getting surgery for pain. I would agree with you versus like a neurological progressive neurological injury, which I think is what neurosurgery should be mm -hmm. there for. And I'm at the point now where just to make peace with it all that I know everybody's going to have a different journey and I'm okay with that. I'm okay if you see a chiropractor, I'm okay if you see an acupuncturist, if you see a surgeon, whatever. But if you come to me, I'm going to, to treat you the same. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to try to, mm -hmm. to do the same things, build trust, build a relationship. And I may not be the, the right fit for that person. And once again, I'm still okay with that. Like people are going to find their own journeys. And I think hopefully through education, from a society as a whole, maybe we'll move past some of the, you know, the sedentary issues, all of, you know, the nutrition, mm -hmm. all of those bigger societal issues. But yeah, it took me a long time to become at peace with that. <laughs> but it, I think I'm there. <laughs> it has to be an integrative approach. I say that on every episode. Yes. I literally say something about integration every single episode because I really truly believe I, that. Yeah, yeah, I do I too. I need to be more at peace with it like you, but I think I'm just going to go insane for like the next. And you should. I, I definitely did. You know, I definitely <laughs> made myself insane. And I say I'm at peace with it. You know, half of the time I probably am half the time I'm frustrated, but. I would say on your post on Instagram, you're not quite at peace with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Very true. I, we all have moments. <laughs> yeah. On Instagram um, are really great. So people yes. this, you totally should follow Jason. And we'll put like your Instagram in the show notes. You post some really great information and yeah, you're always posting really good exercises to try out. And there's just so, so much brain power in that Instagram. So I think it's something that it's a very educational Instagram and I, I enjoy it. I also, I would love for you to talk about a case that you've done with Katie and like how you guys kind of do that together. And we can talk a little bit about yes the integration with that, like your approach, her approach and how it meshes. Yeah. I'm sorry. You asked me that. And then I got off. On no, it's okay. <laughs> One that comes to mind is, is somebody that I think is, is super special to us for, for a lot of reasons, but Katie's worked with her for, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how long we've been here, but over 10 years, let, let's say. Wow. She's a physician. 
internal medicine. She's very educated and very into nutrition, holistic, and just a good human. But she has you know, been to see a lot of physical therapists, a lot of different practitioners. Um, and really, it was when she found Katie that I think things started to change for her. She loves yoga, and she's what most people would call hypermobile. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's just very loosey-goosey and, uh, can, and loves yoga and what, didn't want to give it up. And so over time, Katie you know, started tr- strength training with her, made wonderful gains. And just every now and then, she, you know, something would happen and she, they couldn't get past it. And she would uh, contact me for an assessment. And the great thing was whenever I would see her once again, I, I kind of knew what she was already doing. And it was very easy for me to hone in on, on what I thought might be of value. Those cases typically just a little bit of, of manual therapy. So for her, she had neck pain was her number one complaint. And she would just always get to a point where her upper cervical spine just for whatever reason would be bothered and wouldn't move. So I would see her maybe, I saw her probably five times over the past five years, like once a year. And it was typically come in and it was just kind of the same thing. She couldn't get past it, but once we would work on it a little bit, she would get past it and back to the gym and life was good. But what was, I guess, most meaningful for me and I think all of us is that we knew we were kind of all on the same page as far as our goals. And it was always to get back to the gym and continue to do yoga. And her, she loved yard work too. Cause she, again, with the nutrition, she was always growing like gardens and whatever else, <laughs> but that was it. And, and we, Katie and I would, I would see her um, a few times. Katie was there with me to see what I did. And um, it, it just was easy. I don't know if I answered your question, but. <laughs> you definitely answered. I think it's just interesting to see how well it works that you can kind of both work with a client and help her get better and get her out of pain, but also train her. And I think that's I th- important. I think something key that you said, obviously you are married to her, so it's easier for you. But for other clinicians, like I think, I mean, collaboration in the athletic training setting, especially in like a collegiate level, I mean, you are with these athletes all the time. You're with their coaches, you're with their physicians, you're with physical therapists. If the team has a physical therapist, you're with psychologists, you're with everybody. And it takes Mm -hmm. like seeing what those other people are doing with the athlete and having that like actual visual communication collaboration, rather than just like having them be like, okay, you're seeing this. And then you're also seeing this. And then maybe like, there's like a discontinuation of communication and kind of getting the goals almost mixed up or stepping on each other's toes or things like that. You really just have a more of an appreciation for what the other person is doing and how it really affects and can influence and kind of facilitate what their goals are, which everybody's goal is the patient's goal, right? Hopefully. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully. (laughs) And you're right. I think that's why people get into referring to the same people for those exact reasons, you, you know what the other person values that you're, or you think you do, that the person who they're referring or where the referral source is coming from in the end, hopefully that's best for the patient, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah. Referral is interesting. Networking. It, the, these are all super important concepts to actually just better the, the patient. And that's really ultimately like everything we just talked about, manual therapy, all this stuff, it's just to get the person better. So. I agree. 
<laughs> so we have a couple of other questions for you. The first one is what are you currently reading or are you? Oh man. Yeah. Well, nothing fun, nothing exciting. I'm start. I just started. Well, I say I just started about a couple weeks ago, human locomotion. I'm not that far into it. So we'll see how it, how it goes. I heard but that. Rarely do it. Who's that by? You know what? I don't know the author. I'll find sure. it. I'll put it in the show notes. Cool. If you like feet, it's, it's good. Gate. I like feet. <laughs> Everybody used to make fun of me and it's funny because, okay, the breathing stuff, the breathing stuff, breathing, which is literally living and feet. It's hilarious to me because like, I don't know, it's been plain as day for me and I'm sure you both for quite some time, but now it seems like everyone's kind of getting obsessed with breath work and getting obsessed with the feet. Like, yeah. I mean, it's good. It's, it's good that everybody's getting on board, but it's just like, it's not a fad though. That's the but thing. It's, it's like, it is the only thing. And it's just like, you're, I mean, with science, that's just kind of how it works. I guess you kind of realize like, oh shit, we really didn't know anything before. So. Yes. Awareness shifts. The interesting thing about gait is, I mean, even in physical therapy school, you, you do learn a lot about gait, like when things happen, you know, what muscles should be working, how they should be working. But to be honest with you, most people do not, I mean, you forget it. You don't try to re keep relating that back to how that human in front of you is presenting. And it's once you do that, once you try to relating it back to gait and respiration, that all these light bulbs that you're talking about start to go off. Yeah. It just makes so much more sense to look at it like, okay, <laughs> everyone does this. So yeah. why don't we like look at the ideal this and compare what they're doing to it? Yeah. I don't know makes sense to me, but right. what do I know? Well, we like to, we like to do that as, it, as far as it goes to, as far as, you know, activities we voluntarily choose, like sitting at a desk or, you know, if I'm talking posture, we, we make those same, or we've tried to those same generalizations. Nothing ever plays out in the literature, of course, but I think doing it to, with other things that we do all the time, like getting around from point A to point B, walking and breathing. Yeah. It makes sense to, to study it. Yeah, definitely. Another question that we ask all of our guests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the word. <laughs> we'll edit that part out. <laughs> Another question that we ask all of our guests is, what do you do, could be every day, could also be every other day or once a week, to move your brain and move your body? And I know you work out hard with Katie, and I know you have a five-year-old <laughs> bossing you around or over there. So I'm sure yes. <laughs> they both keep you moving. Yeah, the brain, I would say my son, for sure. That's what I do daily. Try to figure out how to not be a terrible dad and, and ensure that he comes up one of the good humans. And, you know, the body I do, I, I make it a priority. Katie's wonderful in that regard. We, we both know that it's important to ex for us both to exercise. And so every day we, we allow each other to do that, no matter how long the day might be. Yeah. And all the workouts are basically, they show up in your Instagram and Katie's Instagram too. So I'm trying to be time efficient. <laughs> if anybody is interested in learning about how you work out and also just to get more information, they'll check that out. He also does a lot of IG lives now. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're great. I watched the one with you and Alex. It was a good one. Yes. We had Alex. That was fun. Everybody likes talking about biomechanics. Mm -hmm. It's a thing. Cool. And just Nerds. so everybody knows, um, his Instagram, like, if you want to use it as a resource, it's not, 
I would say it's great for both clinicians and for people who just want to move better. Like, I feel like you explain things in a really easy way. I mean, it's definitely more towards people that kind of have an understanding, but I would say it's helpful for anyone that likes to exercise. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. This is so fun. Thank you. Thank you. All different topics and I loved it. (laughs) Same. I'm sure I just rambled on, but I appreciate y'all having me on for sure. You did awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Join in every week as we release new episodes. Subscribe or leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or topics to cover, please email moveyourbb at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at moveyourbb.com.